0: Before we start today's episode, I want to mention our sponsor, Swoosh English, the best way to pass your OET or IELTS exams. For 10% off any course, go to swooshenglish.com forward slash ourvoicesdiscount, or click the link in the episode description. I'm Alex Melia, and this is Our Voices in the NHS, a stage for real people to tell the real stories we never get to hear. In this series, we hear personal stories from NHS medical professionals. If you found meaning in these episodes, please share them with a friend so they can enjoy them as well.
1: Let's delve into today's episode. You're going into work to look after patients and to treat them with dignity and respect. And sometimes patients don't deliver that behaviour back to you as a practitioner. This is Rich.
0: Critical care nurse from Manchester. Rich is a proud member of the LGBTQ plus community and identifies as non-binary.
1: I asked Rich to define non-binary in their own words. Gender is a huge spectrum of many colours and shades and experiences. As an individual, you have the right to identify with how you feel at that moment. And I feel we are very quick to label things as male or female. I now feel I don't really fit into the male label, and I don't fit into a female label, so I I class myself now as as non-binary. Rich has been a qualified nurse for 11 years now, but they've been caring for people since they were young. I helped nurse my grandma, who had advanced dementia, My mom and I, I looked after her at home and when she needed to go into hospital, the care that she received at a a local hospital on the Wirral was just unbelievable. And it really planted the seed in my mind to become a nurse. It was really because of that very traumatic experience of hospital admissions of a grandparent that really decided what my future was going to hold. Rich's
0: grandmother passed away years ago, but she holds a special place in their heart. So
1: my grandma was a a very, very special lady. She was very glamorous and uh, she was always very well presented. During the the very end stages of her advanced um, Alzheimer's, when she could no longer talk, she was actually the first person I told I was part of the LGBTQ Mm -hmm. community. And I confined it in her because, because I knew she couldn't tell anybody. Since then, Rich came
0: out to their friends and family at age fifteen. They've been happily married to a male partner for eleven years. However, they told me that being openly LGBTQ plus in the NHS is commonplace to be treated differently.
1: I have had homophobic comments made at me by patients. I have had my fair share of homophobic jokes made by colleagues in the NHS. And I have had patients say that they haven't wanted me to look after them because I am LGBTQ, which, you know, is, is very hurtful. Rich often felt belittled
0: and ashamed by these comments. They also felt surprised, especially since many of them were
1: from colleagues. I went into nursing because... I am a very caring person and I get a lot of pleasure and job satisfaction from from looking after people who are in vulnerable situations. And you would think that, you know, we're all cut from the same cloth, but there are colleagues who have expressed opinions about the LGBTQ community, made homophobic jokes, and some of it is based on religion some of it is based on you know their own personal view it's a very difficult subject to raise to senior management because it isn't something that they like to admit is actually happening and thriving in the nhs and that is homophobia and transphobia
0: there was one experience in particular which typifies rich's experience as a non-binary person in today's world Despite more visibility, non-binary or gender non-conforming individuals are still victims of abuse and harassment. Two years ago, Rich was out with their friends in the local LGBTQ plus area.
1: He bumped into one of his work colleagues. And I I was dressed in line with how I felt at that time. And I suppose you would say my style or appearance was androgynous and it was neither male or female it was a mixture of both genders of clothes and you know we were having a really good time and celebrating individuality and friendship and being happy and i was approached by a member of staff who who unfortunately made some very very negative comments about my appearance and threatened to out me as a transvestite or transsexual to my colleagues back at work and has held that over me with great coercion and humiliation. What was upsetting about this story
0: is that Rich's colleague was also a member of the LGBTQ plus community. What quickly went through my mind was, why would they be harassing someone whose experience
1: they could surely sympathize with The LGBT community strives for equality, and we are always fighting the good fight that we should be treated with the same respect and rights, and rightly so. But there is a huge amount of inequality and phobia within the LGBTQ community against each other, and that is. It's quite prevalent when, when you are part of that community, you, you will realise that sometimes there the becomes almost what you would class as a pecking order. It's very shallow, it's very hypocritical, and it's very spiteful.
0: Before the pandemic, Rich had decided to take their career in nursing down the specialist route. However, when the first wave of COVID hit, any medical professional with critical care experience was required to transfer to that department to deal with the large influx of COVID patients having worked in critical care for seven years rich was
1: one of those individuals i was greeted with afraid staff staff that had no idea what was happening because the communication was very poor And we were just trying to do our best with a huge patient load, immense amount of stress, and unfortunately, an awful lot of death.
0: Those few months were some of the toughest of Rich's life. But Once things quietened down, they were let back to their usual job and continued in that role for the summer period of 2020. In October 2020, Rich was asked to return to critical care to cope with the second wave of the pandemic. They've been working in that department ever since.
1: I feel as if it's, it's more organised. We know what we're doing. We know what works. But unfortunately, the critical care staff who have been there for over a year now, they are fragile. And they are at breaking
0: point. There's one main indicator that made it obvious their
1: colleagues were struggling. Their demeanor, they look worn out, they hold themselves differently. You can see it in their face, the, the trauma, the turmoil that they've been through with absolutely no let up. And as a as an experienced practitioner, you know, I, I would like to say that I have a a really strong emotional intelligence and just by talking to people and observing how they hold themselves or how they interact, you know, some of the most extroverted, confident staff members that I have had the pleasure to work alongside previously are introverted or quiet. Rich told me they feel lucky in comparison to these nurses. I've had a break in the summer. There are staff nurses there who have worked their annual leave because their staffing is so short and they feel guilty in allowing staffing levels to drop, which puts extra pressure on their colleagues.
0: During Rich's time in critical care, there was a patient who came in very unwell She had contracted COVID and although she didn't have any underlying conditions that would allow the virus to attack her immune system quicker, she was getting worse and worse by the day. It became clear that the patient wasn't going to make it. She was due to be married to her partner, both also members of the LGBTQ community. She had one final wish, to hold a service of some kind to celebrate their love before she died.
1: Between the critical care team, the wellness team, and the palliative care team, we arranged a, a relationship blessing for for this lady and her same-sex partner. The ceremony took place in, in one of our side rooms in critical care, and we had spoken to this lady's partner along with the patient. We found her favorite colors and favorite flowers. We tried to remove as much clinical equipment out of the room to try and not give it that clinical appearance. We decorated the room as as best as we could. We arranged for bedding to be brought in so she wasn't laid on a hospital linen. And we dressed her in her own clothes we washed her hair with her favorite smelling shampoo, and we had makeup and perfume, and it, and it was lovely. The ceremony took place. There was lots of music. There was poetry. There was accounts of good times and experience of holidays. We had their pet dog on a, on a Zoom call. It was as special as we could make it in a very uncertain, stressful time. I would like to think, in that morning, things were as normal for this patient as they could possibly be. And I hope that she she escaped the situation she was in and she could listen to her music And she could smell her perfume. And she could hold her partner's hand.
0: Thinking back to that ceremony, one small gesture
1: remains in Rich's mind. The patient holding her hand out, asking permission to hold a clinician's hand, because at at that point, we were no longer nurses to the patient we were we were her friends and we were witnesses to a a very beautiful morning that i hope brought her peace and maybe some happiness as well a few days later the woman passed away you know in critical care we we are very lucky it is sometimes a very volatile intense traumatic area but it also brings an awful lot of happiness to to nurses we look after patients who are the sickest they could be and they are also in the safest place they can be you know we are very lucky to be able to offer them very personalised nursing touches that I think unfortunately don't necessarily happen on a ward and that's down to patient-staff ratio and, and just how busy ward nurses are.
0: Reflecting on Richard's experiences generates mixed feelings. On the one hand, you can't help but be moved by their story of how tenderly and compassionately they and their colleagues looked after their dying patient during her final moments. It speaks of an NHS that represents the best of us and rightly makes us feel proud. However, Rich also speaks of an NHS where they have experienced discrimination and where discrimination continues to persist unchallenged. If Richie's experiences are reflective of others in the LGBTQ community who work in the NHS, then clearly changes to the culture are necessary. Overall, however, I can't help but be struck by yet more accounts of the extent to which our doctors and nurses and other NHS staff have gone above and beyond when fighting this virus. One has to feel great gratitude to those who have dedicated so much of their time and energy into protecting us. I just hope that they will soon get that respite that they so richly deserve and are in need of. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you want to keep in touch with the show and be the first to find out what's coming up next, go to our website, www.ourvoicespodcast.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. The links are in the show notes. And if you haven't already, Give us a quick follow in your favorite podcast app. See you for another incredible story next week. I want to acknowledge our sponsor, Swoosh English, for making these podcasts possible. It's the best place to get training and support to pass your OET, IELTS, and PT exams. If you want to hear from doctors or nurses who've passed their exam with the help of Swoosh English, go and listen to episodes from Rima, Midun, Cynthia, Tara, and Hussein. For 10% off any course, visit swooshenglish.com forward slash our voices discount.